Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 339 recorded March 9th, 2021. So today we have two of the last, not quite the last, but getting pretty darn close to the end of uh, New Visions. Hmm. Star Trek New Visions, the yes. uh, photo montage series by John Byrne. Right. Which has so much meat to them. I mean, even in the ones we have today, not only do we have a meaty main story, but we have, in one case, one extra story, and then, what, you've got two stories in yours? Yeah, they feel like two full stories, but I guess maybe they're a little shorter than normal, but he, he crams a lot of story into those, uh, you know, ten pages or so. Right. Right. Which is a good throwback to like older comics. I mean, you used to you bought a comic book and you did a fair amount of reading, right? And then, but now you buy a new comic book and it's it looks a lot better, and maybe the storytelling's better, but you're not reading as much as you used to. Yeah, they just don't include enough in them, or as much. Right. Well, because it's it's light beer; they want to sell you more of it. Yep, that's it. And it's also like the the Japanese influence because I mean the Japanese comic books, a lot of action, a lot of like movement across the pages and stuff like that, and very little story, you know, very little dialogue, <laughs> just just the minimum to get across what's going on. Right. Whereas the books, you know, the old comic books, boy, you would little tiny pictures and a big giant thick, uh, you know, text balloons. You you know like the Marvel and DC um, Star Trek books. I mean, compare that to the idw ones of today just mm-hmm. i'm not saying that they were written better which but in some cases they probably were in some cases but uh they were just that was a dense story yeah well we got some dense stories here with these new visions that's why we normally only do two as we're doing today there's a reason for it yeah but yeah these are these are two good books i think they would have made good episodes of the show yeah, I mean, the first one that I'll be doing, Isolation, is um, pretty cool. I think uh, Byrne does some really interesting visual things to get across the isolation that is experienced by the crew. Right. All right, well, shall we just jump into it? Let's do it. Okay, so this is issue number 20, titles Isolation, published date is February 2018, Creative team, as always, is Photomontage by John Byrne, edited by Chris Rial, assistant editor Chase Marotz. The cover presents a confused and upset Captain Kirk on the bridge, staring at Edith Keeler, back from the dead and the past. McCoy and Spock are flanking their captain and friend, not sure what to make of his ridiculous claims of seeing Edith Keeler right in front of him. And by the way, this doesn't actually happen in the book. Spoiler. Well, them all together. Three hours of investigation has turned up no reason for all the ship's emergency systems activating all at once. 
No threat to the ship has been detected by the ship's sensors or any other means. Scotty reports the ship is working perfectly, and Spock reports the unlikely percentage of ship running at 146% efficiency. Huh? Ahura reports she just received communications from the Federation core station that should be far beyond the ship's comms range. Spock reports the ship is beyond their control. It's behaving as if it has a mind of its own. McCoy walks towards the turbo lift, saying he expects sickbay is going to get busy soon, so he'd better get down there. Then suddenly, every person on the bridge suddenly finds themselves completely alone on the bridge that was just populated minutes ago. Seconds ago. McCoy is just outside the turbo lift and completely alone. Kirk is sitting on the con, completely alone. Spock is at his science station, alone. Scotty at his engineering station, alone. Ahura, Sulu, and Chekhov are likewise at their stations, completely alone, wondering where everyone else went to. Kirk asks the computer for the status of crew, but it is silent. No reply at all. The turbo lift does not work, so Kirk takes the emergency ladder to the next deck down. Kirk continues on foot, intending to make his way to engineering. Spock asks the computer for the ship's status and receives a silent reply. He makes his way to lower decks via ladder, but is confronted by a deafening tongue sound that is so painful Spock is driven to the floor. McCoy immediately concludes the crew has been the victim of some damned alien illusion and says so out loud. The good doctor takes it up a notch by saying none of them will play this alien's game and he wants the crew put back in their places before things get nasty. A bright white light appears in front of it and a voice says to Dr. McCoy, no, we wouldn't want that to happen. Scotty deals with the empty bridge by trying many unresponsive controls. He finally accesses the emergency turbolift door controls behind the ship's brass commission plate. I never knew it was back there. And he gets the turbolift open. He steps in and gets the turbolift going, but way faster than he intended. Sulu, like the others, tries to find everyone via the unresponsive computer. He enters the turbolift that is, being stubborn. Ohura tries to use the ship's comms to contact everyone, but is unsuccessful when the turbolift door opens slowly with blinding white light coming out of it. A voice from the turbolift calls her name. Chekhov goes to Spock's sensor station and tries to use it to find everyone. That and his attempts to get the computer to respond fails. When a click, click, Click sound starts and gets louder until the light suddenly goes out and the bridge goes black. Kirk goes to the transporter room and finds no one. He considers using the transporter, but he has no place to go. Suddenly the voice of someone he once knew and loved comes across from the hall. It's Edith Keeler. In those impossibly old clothes of hers. It's her, but how can it be? Kirk does not understand what's going on. She is scared and finally, in frustration, tells Kirk to just love her. And she gives him a big old smooch. Spock wakes up thinking how the sonic attack must have stopped. But when will it return? 
Suddenly, he hears Rand's voice, and there she is in her blue uniform and short hair. Spock cannot be sure it actually is her or an illusion. Did he ever really leave the bridge? McCoy finds himself in his quarters with the alien disembodied voice that turns out to be rather chatty. It says he thinks he sees in Dr. McCoy a kindred spirit, so he wanted to start what he hopes will be many conversations with the good doctor. The alien says he has been observing the people of the Enterprise for a long time, since before the doctor came on board, in fact. The time has come for more than mere observation. On to the next step, direct manipulation. Cut to Scotty, who finally makes it to engineering. He tries to use the engineering controls to find out where everyone is, but only succeeds in turning off all the lights in engineering. Chekhov is making his way carefully across the totally dark bridge when the turbolift door opens, which emits a bright light. Next thing Chekhov knows, he is in his quarters with Ahura. She explains they are locked in and comes on to him. Chekhov says it's not the time, but part of him is tempted. From a pastel-colored empty void, the real Ahura watches on and objects to the situation the disembodied voice has set up for Pavel. Pavel realizes that it is not Natoya at all and pushes her away. The intruder's voice comes out of her mouth, asking if he thinks knowing that will help him at all. Scotty makes a revelation by scanning the bridge with a tricorder. Everyone is frozen on the bridge except for one person. Scotty and Sulu bump into each other on the bridge as if they are both physically on the bridge and just cannot see each other. The alien is showing McCoy the video of the Scotty-Sulu collision and reveals his physical form to McCoy. He is a lanky, tall, blue-skinned humanoid who is wearing an odd Star Trek Discovery asymmetrical tunic, dark pants, and a tall hat. He is a pan-dimensional being that exists on all planes of existence. His people are called the Twee, and his name is Aru. In response to Dr. McCoy's queries, Aru says he, he picked this time to shift from mere observation to actively interfering with the crew because the crew was adjusting to new equipment, which, make, which makes it a perfect time to observe under a maximum stress situation. Aru closes by ominously telling McCoy his ultimate goal of his mission has not even started yet. Cut to Kirk, who is trying to get away from the phantom Edith Keeler. Aru ups the ante by throwing Kang into the picture, who grabs Edith and holds a disruptor to her head. Cut to Spock, who is moving into the ship's computer library core with Rand following him. He tells her with the computer's assistance he intends to prove not only is she not real, but neither is he. Aru is showing McCoy what Spock is doing, but says it is not what he expected, so he must make some adjustments. Cut to Kirk, who apparently took the alien's bait and kicks the feces out of Kang. Wop, wop. Kirk decides to return to the bridge, but Edith says she can't let Kirk do that. Kirk, cue the Gorn, that emerges from a nearby 
turbo lift, promising to make Kirk's, Kirk's death merciful and quick. Spock makes the computer core changes required to make the illusion thrust upon them impossible to maintain. Spock finds himself back on the bridge, and he can see the bridge crew. However, Rand is on the bridge too, and attacks Spock, trying to stop him from communicating with the captain. Despite Rand's efforts, Spock is able to reach Kirk and warn him of the illusions. Kirk already knows that and asks what they can do about it. Aru answers Kirk's question with annoyance. There is nothing you can do about it. Distracted, McCoy sees his opportunity and hits Aru across the back of the head with a heavy object that looks like a statue of amber. The bridge crew snaps back to consciousness on the bridge. McCoy is happy his direct action worked. Sula reports they are 500 light years from where they should be. McCoy explains about Aru and they lock him up in the brig. From the brig's cell, Aru explains the normal laws of physics that restricts the Enterprise crew does not affect him. Aru answers Kirk's barrage of questions that are quite similar to McCoy's from earlier. In the end, he admits he overreached by trying to manipulate the entire crew at once, which is a mistake he will not make again. Spock asks for confirmation Aru intends to do this again. Aru says, well, of course, and until we meet again. But rather than being whisked away by his people, Aru goes nowhere. Kirk explains Spock found a way to use a harmonic resonance frequency to scramble Aru's retrieval signal. He goes nowhere until Kirk says he does. After delaying Aru briefly and explaining how the harmonic resonance can block Aru from returning, Kirk lets him go. Kirk congratulates McCoy for saving them all, and Spock chimes in with a backhanded compliment, essentially saying, McCoy figuring out a situation and logically coming up with a solution had to happen. Eventually. Wah, 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 the end. What's the joke about putting a you know, room monkeys? full of typewriters and monkeys? <laughs> that they'll end up uh, producing the, uh, the complete works of William Shakespeare? Yeah, or even a sentence. Or even a sentence. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes, yeah. Spock. So, Spock's, Spock. Spock's a jerk. <laughs> Spock, you're just a jerk. So the way he was testing people I thought was a little inconsistent. I mean, obviously, he let uh, let McCoy in on the whole thing. So was that his way of testing McCoy on what, how some country doctor could handle this type of manipulation of all his friends? I don't know. Good question. Was it a part of the tests, or was it that he was kind of bored and overconfident and wanted to just, um, you know, talk to somebody about it? They couldn't do anything! Right. But then also Uhura's kind of uh, tested in that uh, she knows what the fake Uhura is doing with Chekhov. So that is that kind of like her test to see how somebody would react if they didn't have control over their own body? Well, yeah. I mean, I think everybody else being tested is, you know, tests to right. see how people people react. So, And they never say... He but never really says part, why, though. Right, but I'm saying, for the most part, the tests were, you're now all alone, what do you do? Except mm-hmm. for Ahura's, which was, you don't have control over your body, what are you going to do when Chekhov 
thinks that you're coming on to them. Okay. You know? Sure. It just seems like her test was different than everybody else's. And McCoy's test, if, if that was a test and not just, like you said, he was bored. <laughs> yeah, it, it could be either one. There's lots of things he doesn't, that Byrne doesn't explain. Right. So you assume this is a prelude to war, uh, invasion, something, but they never really say. Right. And the idea of Rue's co- people coming back, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. And this whole idea of a resident f- residence frequency, making sure you can't come back again, uh, does that work in the entire Alpha Quadrant? Because he'll just pop up on another ship. Right, or at a different time. Maybe he shows up with him, oh. does it the there same thing to Picard. <laughs> right, exactly, right. So um, in reading this, um, I was very annoyed on the very first page. And then it really drove home my annoyance on the second page. Hmm. The third page. Okay. And that is, uh, there's no chairs. Oh, there's no chairs. Just <laughs> standing, Scott, Spock's just standing. Everybody's just standing near their consoles, not, not sitting down. And then, Where is this? Uh, on the first page. So on the first page, it shows Ahura just standing by her console, which I've I've never seen her do. There's no chair there. Oh, oh, Spock's I got just you. Standing got you. by his. Okay, but Scotty's sitting. So yeah, Scotty's Chekhov the and... only one that's sitting. Well, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. yeah. The the middle crew is still sitting. Currently. Oh, okay. So but so against all, the back. Were, yeah, against the back. Right. Agreed. Yeah, so at first I was like, is this just supposed to be like you know you're not supposed to sit all day and this is. <laughs> <laughs> But then I guess it was so they could show that thing on page three where it's like the uh, fractured picture of, you know, it's the bridge, but there's actual like seven panels and it's every crew member seeing it the way they see it versus how versus just, you know, because they're really in there all alone. But the way the picture's fractured, it's each each panel is in the right right spot as if uh, they were there. Yeah, so what Byrne did, like Donovan ex- is explaining, they've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, um, panoramic, so very wide and very short uh, pictures of the bridge, wide angle. And each one of these seven ha- features a different uh, crew member, bridge crew, all alone. Right. So um, that's a good point. So if they would have shown Uhura sitting down behind the con you know, Kirk's chair, then you, you just see her, like, her head and maybe her shoulders. So that well, that's you your point? Assume, yeah, well, no, it's just, yeah, she just doesn't have a chair, which I don't, right. I've never yeah. seen her without a chair. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. I mean, Spock stands up a lot, but he's normally has a chair, too. Yeah, I agree. Right. So why and is, then, yeah, good question, why does Scotty get one? I don't know. Right. And then what's weird is that on page three, which, where it shows um, everybody talking and, and, you know, asking where everybody is. Um, look at the very bottom left-hand corner of Chekhov. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know if John Byrne just Made a mistake. couldn't find a good picture. His but arm. His arm and his leg. It's like there's a big chunk of his arm missing. Yeah. I mean, it's just completely photoshopped out so you can see the chair behind it. And then uh, his leg the same way. You, you He just has a an invisible chunk of his leg and an invisible chunk of his arm. It's very strange. Well, and Sulu, too. I mean, so it looks like the back of the console, is control, Sulu's control console, is like going back further than it should or something. I don't know. Right. Yeah, and uh, his color and, and his tunic's a different color. For whatever reason, his 
stomach is a, a lighter gold than the rest of his, oh, uh, yeah, that's true. his shoulders. Yeah. But I've never noticed John Byrne doing this before where he, he obviously had to Photoshop something out of the picture, you know, like for Chekhov. I mean, he must have had something in the console that covered up his arm, and so he just cut out whatever that was, but didn't fill it in with anything. So mm. it just looks like or maybe a chunk of arm. maybe in that particular picture, maybe somebody had their hand on his left arm or something. Right. Somebody and he's also missing, he's missing his left hand, too. So it's like... Yeah. Like was his left hand underneath the underneath the console, and now know. when you cut him out and moved him over there, it just it's it's you know this is t- issue twenty, and it's the first time I've noticed something like this that was so blatant. You know, sometimes we'd see something and it just didn't quite match up, but right. it still was a whole person, right? This is the first time I've noticed where he's just missing pieces. He's missing <laughs> an arm. He's missing a leg. He's missing uh, his hand. Right. You're right. Good point. Mr. Byrne, what's going on? Monty, what what's going on? Monty Burns. Exactly. Different show. I know, but he's still a Burns. He's a Mr. Burns to me. He's a Mr. Burns. Excellent. Excellent Smithers. Okay. All good points. So I got a point. Mm-hmm. This reminds me of Schisms, which is a TNG episode TNG where... Episode. Right, where Riker and some uh, and a few other uh, crewmen were abducted by extra-dimensional beings, um, and and I don't remember exactly, but I I think they might have actually come out and said something like this was groundwork. They're doing groundwork for invasion or something. I forgot exactly. I, I didn't actually go back and watch the whole episode, right. but I, I do remember. You know, it was kind of a spooky one because here you are on a big starship. You think everything's cool. You're in control of everything. But uh, no, at night when you're sleeping, there's an extra dimensional beings that are able to take you. It's like a, it's, it's like one of those alien autopsy things or whatever. Uh, right. Abduction things, alien abduction things. That's like um, saying alien autopsy was actually hosted by Jonathan Frakes. Oh, was it? <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, good for him. Um, yeah, so that was a scare, that was kind of a, a spooky, scary episode for me just because it was so like, you lost your control. I mean, here are heroes. They can take care of anything. They're out in space, whatever, you know, everything's cool, but they're completely out of control in this situation because they didn't even right. know this is happening. And so like here, um, our heroes are completely, they don't have control over their own ship, their own lives. Right. Because of this alien influence. Yeah, but here at least it just seems like it's just all in their heads, right? Yes, that's true. Whereas in Schisms, I mean, they that were was real. Like switching out body parts and stuff like that. Yep. You know, it's just like... Yeah, supposedly they... they were... Yeah. Supposedly they, they removed, surgically removed Riker's arm and reattached it just to find out how it worked. Right. It's like, couldn't you take some scans? Do you have to take off my arm? I don't know. Uh, this is kind of off subject, like way off subject, but there was a, a show called The Blair Thumb. <laughs> really? Yeah, so this guy, he, he made these thumb movies where he took a movie, but then he refilmed it all using uh, his thumb with like a computer generator oh! on it. Oh, oh, oh. I think I've seen those. I, I've, seen, I've seen snippets of those. Yes. Right. But there's one called The Blair Thumb, which is obviously making fun of The Blair Witch. and. Right. Uh, it's like during like the interviews of all the locals and stuff. And yeah. one of the locals is like, there were these twins. They went into there and they, 
they uh the witch took their heads and switched them <laughs> and then it switched their bo- and then it took their bodies and it switched them too <laughs> so when they came out they looked exactly the same but, but we're we switched they, we knew they had all been switched up but <laughs> <laughs> so when you were talking about schisms that uh, it just made me think of that they look exactly the same, yet we know, we the audience know, they've been switched up. <laughs> uh, I, I should watch one of those. Yeah. But uh, but here, um, here it was just like, you wanna, I don't know, uh, just it's all in your head. You know, are you even walking, you're not even walking around the bridge, or you're not even walking around the ship when you think you're walking around the ship. Mm-hmm. That kind of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's 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 just it, like you say, just in your head. I mean, it's not even holodeck time. It's just they just beaming stuff in your head, right? And seeing how you react. But uh, one thing happens in this story while while it's a, a fantasy, right? It's mm-hmm. it's not part of the main. It's not. Well, when I read it, I didn't think that it was a real thing, but it seems like Rand in this story, which mm-hmm. is just an illusion. It's not the real Rand, right? But she seems to have a completely different job than she used to. She's she like, always has a different job. Right, but used to she was like computer analyst or something. Yes. Right? To make sure the computer data is not going too fast. Like, oh my god, what a weird career. Or job. But temporary here she job. seems to be like, you know, science doing something, you know, like like not not the Spock's level, but she looks like she's on that career path. Mm-hmm. And then not to spoil anything, but definitely in the next issue, I mean, she's like full blown science uh science weapons person you know it's just like uh so i don't know if if this is her career right now this illusion is this really what she does now or is it just he was trying to put her in it because he likes her she needs to be on in the story (laughs) a burn likes her yeah yes um i don't know uh i think um i think starfleet apparently believes in cross training uh, because Rand's doing all kinds of things. Yeah. That makes sense. I mean, we have both Chekhov and Worf that go from, you know, navigator to uh, security officer. So, yeah, cross-training's good. But Worf made so much sense. Because well, he's a big, tough guy? You ain't kidding, boy. All he has to do is like, that's that's it. I'll do whatever you say, Worf. Uh, <laughs> uh, anyways... So you say these guys looked familiar to you? The the I don't know what they what, are. the alien I, guys? Yeah. When did did I text you that or what? No, no, no. I thought I thought you mentioned that they. I guess that you said reminded you of of uh, something. Thing. Oh, I, I, yeah. I thought you were saying visually they reminded you. Of yeah. What what I did text you with something, didn't I? Um, and maybe I took down notes. Uh, oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I texted you about this. So I just said the alien design just. When I first saw it, it just struck me a little bit of uh, uh, people from Camino. Uh, is it Kaminoans? Oh, oh. Yeah, the Kaminoans. Kami- yeah, whatever. It's K A M I N O A N S. So right. I guess that's what they're called. Um, yeah, from Star from Star Wars. You know, the ones who the clone makers. So, I mean, really long neck, really tall. Of course, the, the Cameoans, I mean, they got really long necks. Right. Um, and the heads are a little on the small side, but uh, not as much as Kaminoans. Um, and then Princess Leia earmuffs. That's great. 
So, uh, remind me, this costume, is it the same outfit that the Andorian wears in um, Journey to Babel? Because I was there. That's I interesting. Was, every time I saw his, figure, his, his body, I kept uh-huh. thinking, oh, that's that's the Andor, not Andorian. Uh, yeah, yeah, Andorian. But I, I didn't, maybe it's just the blue skin, and I automatically linked them that way. But uh, I thought maybe you would know, since since you know everything about it. Cause I don't know everything, but um, it, when you when you I didn't even think about the fact that Burn probably repurposed uh, an outfit from Taws and just you know put a purple cape on it and here you go uh, a, a new alien thing. Um, I didn't even think about that, but good point. Uh, for, when you started saying that, I was for some reason I was thinking of Ambassador Fox. Um, who who popped up on on an episode? I would have to do some searching. You you may be right though. It, so you're saying it was an Andorian uh, diplomat in well, that, Journey to Babel? What I kept, that's what I kept thinking when I saw it, but I don't know. Yeah, who, I'm not who's quite sure. uh, who'd you say? Somebody Fox? Ambassador Fox. He he was a real jerk. Uh, who kept on trying to get? Uh, I, I think that was. I think he was the ambassador that was involved when. Um, when Kirk was phasing out with the, uh, you know, he was in the spacesuit. Right. Uh, the Tholian one? Uh, Tholian Web. Tholian Web? Yeah. Nah, yeah. I mean, yeah maybe. It, I don't know. Yeah, because he was on the Defiant when it got sucked in. Yeah, something like that. Or was well, it a different one? That doesn't sound right. That was a diff- different outfit. So, okay. Who knows? It, I, I don't obviously, know. I mean, it, the costume looks so tazzy that it has to right. come from somewhere. Well, I mean, quite... Oh, 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 yeah, I'm looking at... Yeah, he's got a very different outfit. I'm looking at this, and what I'm saying is, that's very uh, Discovery-ish. You oh, know, with ace, a lot of asymmetrical kind of uh, costumes going on. Yeah, I mean, I didn't, didn't we actually... I mean, I think we've actually seen some costumes like that where part of the bottom goes way low uh, in, a, in, a, in an asymmetrical way. Right. Anyway, um, the, the costume designer for uh, STD likes that. Those the skirts that uh, Picard wear. Aren't they lopsided or are they, they straight? I th- Not Kirk, uh, Picard. Oh, the, the, the dress uniforms that Picard and, and Riker wear? Yeah. Right. Um, I thought they were straight across the bottom. Yeah, uh, and actually, Cisco wore one too. Uh, I thought they were straight, but I had to look it up. I don't know. Yeah, you're probably right. But this is way asymmetrical because that that fabric on the left hand side of him goes way low uh, over his thigh. Yeah, and it's very sparkly. It's very tawsy. Like yes. Said. So it looks like paisley, paisley, a paisley, a metallic paisley print. Right. Yes, that definitely is sixties. So, uh, needless to say, I was a little disappointed in this book, um, just huh. because I saw the cover last week uh, when we were recording. Uh, mm-hmm. I didn't read the little, you know, the teaser that's in the in the issues now. Uh, so, I, all I had was the cover to go off of, and mm-hmm. it had Edith Keeler on the bridge mm-hmm. with Kirk, Spock, and McCoy all interacting together with her. And so, I was just like, oh, this is going to be a great story of, you know, how are they going to bring her into the current time? You know, how are they going to bring her up in the future? Right. You know? Obviously, it's going to be an illusion since he says, can you not see her? But uh, mm. I was all excited. And then I get to it, and 
none of them, you know, none of the main crew are ever interacting with each other, and mm-hmm. uh, they they definitely don't ever interact with with her. Mm-hmm. Well, a little disappointing. Yeah. Well, it's a bait and switch. Now, whether you care or not is a question, but I mean. Oh, I care. Oh, I care. Yeah, it is. But they saw you one thing on the cover, and then but but Edith was there. She was actually sure. in the story, so it's not a hundred percent bait right. and switch. So out of all the Star Trek guest stars, I mean, she has to be one of the most famous post-Trek actresses, Joan Collins. Well, oh, okay, so she was on on that nighttime soap opera, uh, Falcon, no, not Falcon Crest. Dynasty. Dynasty, that's it, Dynasty. So, Is that all she was famous for? Well, no, she was in a lot of other things, but I oh. think she really became popular with Dynasty. Because uh, she was like she was like the J.R. Ewing, but female. So you really hated her, mm. as I recall. All, all I know is growing up, Joan Collins was a punchline on the Carson show all the time, right? So, oh, was I mean, she? I just, I just remember hearing the name all the time. The, the name was everywhere. And oh. I didn't even know who she was until way later when I got into Star Trek and yeah. watched this episode. And I'm like, oh, wow, that's her. She's super famous. But... Uh, <laughs> But it might just be because I just knew the name and not necessarily anything else. I knew that she was in Dynasty. That was about it. Yeah. And I'm going to be really sad if that's really all she's famous for. And I just always assumed no, she was no, a she, big movie star. I don't think she was ever a big movie star. I mean, uh, she was definitely in movies, you know, uh, in the 50s and things. I just, I, I honestly could not tell you any movies she was in. Although I know she was in movies. Right. I think she was um, in the uh, Tales from the Crypt. Uh, ah! <laughs> the, the, uh, cause the UK was that like in the did, 70s or something? Yeah, yeah. When they did those, they did a movie called Tales from the Crypt where they basically yeah. did three or four uh, right. issues. Yeah. And, they, and right. she was in the uh, the Santa one, which was the first episode of the uh, the TV show when they started it. The Santa one... Yeah, the one where uh, the little boy says he saw sees Santa, and she's like, the mom's like, oh yeah, yeah, it's Christmas Eve, get upstairs, you know. Uh-huh. But in reality, it's like a, an escaped criminal or mental patient dressed uh-huh. up as Santa. And, and Joan Collins is the mother. Joan Collins in that one is the mother. Yeah, the UK one. Okay, okay, cool. So those are the only two things. I never watched Dynasty, so Star Trek and that Tells from the Crypt are uh, pretty, probably the only two things I saw. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I think Ricardo Montalban was pretty big time. That's true. Um, although, fun. when you look at the movies he was in, because he was in movies too. Um, well, yeah, he was. He, you know that that baby, it's cold outside. Exactly, right? exactly. So he's he he was in musicals, right? For Cry Pete's. And that's All a very right. famous song. It is famous. And and now apparently it's famous for being a uh, was it supposed to be a a female abuser song or something? It, it really is. There's no. Well, there's no. You can take no, it that like, way. Uh, there's no. <laughs> well, no, no. You can take things that way if you choose to. Sure. I don't sure. think that was what the movie intended. Well, in the movie context, no, I don't know. I've never seen the movie all the way. So oh, you know. haven't seen the. Well, I mean, even I, if you don't see the, I mean, you can see the clip. If you I've go on YouTube, clip. you can. I've okay, seen well, her, I've well, seen what's the clip of the singing and dancing? And I love it. <laughs> okay, fine. 
But I really like that song, so I don't I don't want it to be bad. But no, uh, but you can but, read a lot of things into things if you want to. I don't think that yeah. was the intent, but uh, I hope it's not the intent. Yeah. Hmm. But anyways, uh, I would like to make an observation, if I may. Please. So Scotty makes a big revelation by using a tricorder uh, that everybody's on the bridge and frozen. Um, and he says, except for one person. But anyway, so. Okay, so I'm looking at this, and at first I'm thinking, oh, oh, how cool, Scotty. Very smart that you did this. Um, but it's like, hold on. If, he, if this is all a dream to him, or it's like all in his head, then the tricorder he's holding isn't real. So right. how can the tricorder that's, a, that's somehow created in his mind, how can it actually do something more than what the puppet master is generating. Right. So right. it's like, at first I was thinking, oh, cool, Scotty, good job, you're figuring this out. And it's like, huh? Wait a minute. It just, this doesn't make sense. So, right. uh, so did he put it into Scotty's mind as a taunt? Or did he just want to see how he reacted to it with that extra piece of information? I, I just, you know, it, was, it, just, right. it just kind of caught me as I thought one thing at first, and it's like, wait a minute. And then I was thinking, right. oh, after there was a wait a minute, I was thinking like, well, okay, how can this make sense? I was playing, I had my Donovan hat on. How can I make this make sense? Right. And then they bump into each other and it's a big deal. And, and I find it hard to believe that none of them bumped into each other exactly. before. Because they're be, all running around like chickens with their heads cut well, off the exactly. around the bridge. But they would but, have they're, been bumped but they're all physically standing there. I mean, right. no one's running around in reality. They're all just sitting there as if they're like asleep or frozen or what. Oh, that's right. What. In that last panel, when they wake up, they're all still sitting there. Exactly. It's like yeah, uh, right. they're all playing. What's that old children's game where you're supposed to freeze when when the other person turns around or something? Freeze oh. tag. Freeze tag? Mm-hmm. Freeze, freeze tag's when you touch somebody, they have to they have to. Oh, okay. Well, anyway. There and was a game. else can touch you and unfreeze. There was a game in... in when I was a kid in Chicago, and you know, the, the you're supposed one person stands in front, and then everybody stands in back. And what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to tag them. But if they want to turn around, and if they see you move, you got to freeze. Right. So, but if you move, then you're out. Mm. So I forgot what we call that. Anyway. Well, I, I mean. We're showing our age because even even kids now would be like, yeah, even even the mannequin challenge on YouTube was when I was a kid. You know, which, what's the mannequin challenge? Were you oh, stand you know, there for a long time? They did. Well, no, they did those videos where everybody was just frozen in place, and then somebody with the camera would like walk around everybody, and they would all be doing different things, and it was a fad there for a while on YouTube. Hmm. To do the mannequin challenge. Oh, okay. Cool. It was like, you know, like on The Matrix when everything's in slow-mo, except it was just everybody, like, pretending to be frozen. Oh, okay. You know, bewitch style, you know, where you could tell that they were still kind of moving, but they were supposed to be frozen. <laughs> or like when somebody's supposed to be dead, but you can see a little bit of chest raise up and down. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So back to this issue. Um, I really don't have anything else to say except... Um, I, I mean, did he did he do the mind meld in this one? 
Did he? Is that what he did with the computer? What? Exactly no, 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 no. He didn't do mind meld with the computer. What? What? What are you? Well, what are you kidding? He? Spock mind melding with a machine? I'm sure that happened. Oh yeah, Viger. Anyway, um, yeah. no, he he did something techno babbly. Where I mean, so so the first thing he did kind of made sense. Where he 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 did something where he knew how the computer would react if it was real. But if it was a manufactured computer, a uh, big, huge computer thing, it would be hard to fake that. So I think that's the first thing he did. But then but the what he... was also reading his mind. So wouldn't, wouldn't he know that Spock's expecting it to, you know, blink green instead of blink red? I don't know. Good point. But, but he did something like that. Right. But then the second thing he did to make it so that the uh, that the illusion could not go on any further, I don't know what that was. I think that was like, oh, see what I'm doing here that I'm going to explain, and so it kind of makes sense, sort of. And now here's something else I'm going to say, but I'm not going to explain anything and just move on and hope nobody notices. Anyway. I think they just wanted to have... Uh... Rand beating up Spock with a stick. <laughs> I want to see. You know what I've always wanted to see? Rand beats Spock up with a stick. Can you do that? <laughs> Thanks, John. You're the best. Yeah. How did he get those pictures? <laughs> uh, creativity. It is funny though to see that. I mean, she's really wailing on him. <laughs> and you'd think he would be kind of like hurt and stuff, but it's like, eh. Yeah, he just keep walking. Exactly. Uh, so all right, I, anything else? Yeah, I got two more quick things. Okay. So you like you like the Batman time? Pacow. So yeah. when when well, when Kirk is fighting Kang, Pacow. Love it. So he's got the big yellow Batman esque kind of uh, lettering, which probably originally came from the comics, but I'm, I, it looks completely like the old Batman TV show. Well, especially uh, when it's live action frames like this exactly right oh, yeah love that and the other thing is that's interesting is um the first thing kang says to kirk is are you captain kirk so um so that means that or i mean okay what does that mean does that mean this story actually took place before the season three episode day of the dove which is where kang and kirk met or well, he doesn't say "Are you Captain Kirk?" He says "Are you Captain Kirk?" Because Kirk just says, "I'm going to get as far away from here as possible." And oh, like, I, oh, oh, I get you. Captain oh, are you Captain Kirk? Oh, okay. yeah, okay. see that comma? That means that it's who he's addressing. No, no, no. He could actually mean, "Are you Captain Kirk?" Yeah, see, no, it, would, it still there works. Would be no, there would be no comma there because you're saying, "Are you blank?" Oh, you could you could you could you could you could do you could do a comma there if you want to do it. Are you absolutely you Captain Kirk? But if you want to do it correctly, grammarly, especially if you're William Shatner. Well, no, that are you? Are you Captain Kirk? Captain Kirk. Exactly. (laughs) See. (laughs) Okay. You're probably right, but I think it's just I think it's just as valid to read it the way I did. But you you are probably right because it's it's really the alien that's doing that that says that. Are you Captain Kirk? I don't think you are. Because here's Kang. Well, that's exactly what he says. Are you Captain Kirk? I yeah. think otherwise. Well, well, yeah. yeah. June. 
That's my Joan Collins impression. That's great. That's great. <laughs> so uh, the Gorn never talked in the in the arena episode, right? Oh yes, he did. Did he? Yes, he was. He was over the Universal Translator. Oh, that's right. Kirk, come back, or Captain. I will make your death merciful and quick. That's why I threw that in there. Okay. In, the, in right. my synopsis. Because when I was reading this and the Gorn started talking, I was like, well, there's another red flag. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't think they can speak English or, uh, or Federation Standard. But that's why he had the uh, Universal Translator thing. I mean, I'm actually kind of surprised they even bothered throwing the Universal Translator in that episode. Well, that was the because it breaks, right? And that's why he has to. Then they have to try to communicate with him. Instead, they fight. Is isn't communication no. part of that episode? Um, the Met- Metron. I don't know so, what some super super race that ended up in uh, in that Q continuum comic book um, set all that up. Okay. So they pluck Kirk away, and they pluck the captain of the Gorn ship away, and they put him on a planet. They're both equipped with the Universal Translator, um, and then they had to fight to the death. I think they could have just talked it out. Hey, my enemy is your enemy, so we're friends. Yeah, well. Don't make me scrape up a bunch of diamond dust and make a <laughs> don't, don't make me create from scratch gunpowder. Yeah. <laughs> And find some kind of bamboo thing that I could use as a gun barrel. And then <laughs> find projectiles. Exactly. <laughs> so funny. So yeah. anyways, so this guy's been around a long time watching watching our crew. Since before McCoy. So does show. that mean like in the first couple of episodes of the show? Or does that mean all the way back into Pike's time he's been on this show? Could mean. Could be. They do. Could be. Doesn't say. All he says is he's been there a while, and since before McCoy came on the ship. Yeah, McCoy showed up in the second episode, right? The space, no, the one with the salt vampire. Was that his first episode? Um, actually, I think that was the first episode ever broadcast. Is the salt vampire episode? I think. Mm. So you would think it would have been where no man has gone before, uh, but I think that was the second or third episode that was broadcast well whatever but but yeah so yeah definitely mccoy was not in the second pilot or the first pilot right yeah who, who was the doctor in the second pilot mm. not the, so I, the old guy i think he's the guy that's in this this issue coming up okay oh yeah yeah it was the old guy yeah so it was the old guy that that sounded like he fell he fell out of a western or something where Kirk says, or Spock says, which which way did he go? To the left of the mountains, to the right of the of the Twin Peaks. It, it just sounded whatever he said sounded like something right out of Gunsmoke or something. Anyway, whatever. Yeah, whatever. I'm glad they booted him and, and got McCoy in there. Oh, completely, completely. Okay, that's all I have to say. All right, shall we move on to uh, story B? Let's do it. The B story. Yes. Okay, so this was nice and short. Um, it's uh, story two, and there's only two, yay, um, and it's short. The title is Like a Shadow, Like a Dream. Kirk, Spock, and McCoy are walking on a planet's surface, commenting on how, how real it all seems. Sound, sense, tingling, feeling. McCoy is amazed 
that it all feels like he's actually walking. Kirk comments how he was not sure about the hollow pods when Starfleet announced they would be deploying them to the Enterprise, but so far he's digging it. McCoy comments how he does not know how they work, so Spock gives him a quick explanation how it uses holographic and transporter technology. Hmm, sounds familiar. As soon as McCoy hears transporter tech is involved, he says, Ho, end program! Love that. And steps out of one of the uh, five pods. There's at least five pods in a room. Um, and then there's a control panel. It kind of looks like a tra- transporter room. And that's, uh, that's where Scotty is, and he's controlling the pods. So uh, McCoy and uh, Spock and Kirk are all in you know, three pods. So they all step out, and um, McCoy walks out of the room, calling the pods horror boxes, while Scotty tells Kirk and Spock uh, the biggest issues with the pods. They can't make a decent scotch worth drinking. The end. That, that last page is, is also making me mad. <laughs> okay, <laughs> why? Why? Well, because, again, because of the bar that Burns set for himself. Oh, okay. Being so Trek knowledgeable. Yes. And Star Trek, the animated series. Yes. The episode, The Practical Joker. Yes. Shows that the Enterprise does have a recreation room with a holodeck in it. And it behaves very similar to the holodeck that we see in Next Generation. So, it's not a little pod, not a little... Well, okay. Well, what if what if this story happened before that episode, and they just got more upgrades over time? Before the episode of the the animated series, yes. which should be taking place around the same time. Yeah, sure. So maybe the 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 one in the rec room is the one that uh, McCoy builds from, or not McCoy. Scotty builds from scratch because he wants scotch. So. Mm-hmm. Is that, is was that, that in the that, animated series? No, but it's he's saying that he's going to tweak these pods because it doesn't build the shot, uh, scotch. And then <laughs> chronologically, the next time we see it is the big rec room in the uh, Enterprise. So is that That's what Scotty. He does an awesome job. Uh, uh, he goes a long way just for a good, good cup of uh, fake scotch. <laughs> Well, I mean, being able to do it inside of a room rather than pods is a big step up. Although, really, talk—I mean, talk about something that you could do anything, anywhere. Um, something that is strictly in your mind opens up incredible possibilities. Where we never really saw the limits <laughs> in the hollow deck in TNG, but um, I mean, it was just a big deck. But you know. The people in it are like running all over a city and stuff. I mean, in some of those things, right? So it just yeah, so somehow they're getting transported or turned in a different direction. So they're just running around. In so circles. they think, yeah. I, I, that's why I never quite got about the holodeck. <laughs> I mean, if you just stayed like in a in a cabaret or something and uh, played your trombone or you know had a great time with a smoking hot brunette, great. That all makes sense. But when they start like walking around and uh, going between buildings, right? Anyway, okay. yep. No, I agree with you hundred percent. But when I read this first page, I was like, "Ooh, 
Burns gonna actually make it canon about the holodeck being on in the in the recreation room. And then I turned the page and it's pods and I was just like, Oh, you you almost stuck the landing. Oh, oh you bastard ya. Well, you don't know. They could have had a big version too. <laughs> okay, we can, we have a big upgrade for you. You're actually in a room now. But what technology are they using? Uh, ho- uh, holographics and the transporter. Isn't, right. isn't that kind of transporter technology, replicator technology, that kind of whatever? Isn't that part of what they use in TNG? Yep, that's what they say, yeah. So, so that when you're walking around and bumping into stuff, you're actually bumping into something. Yes, but it's all supposed to be photons also. It depends on the episode. (laughs) Exactly, right. Yeah, so if you want to take a bite out of your desk, will it taste like desk? Because if so, then it needs to be something other than hard photons. It needs to be synthesized wood that was created right there for you to bite. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's it's wishy-washy. Exactly, exactly. But I do like it. It's a nice little short thing. Yep. Two pages, over and done. As all, little... as all B stories should be. Two as pages. they should be, which they are not in the next issue. <laughs> no. Shall we get to it? Because it's. Let's do it. Let's do it. All right. So, uh, issue number twenty-one. I get to do. All right. It came out April of uh, two thousand and eighteen. I believe. Only one cover. It says the enemy of my enemy and in it it shows uh, Kirk and behind him is Kor and then we see a bunch of uh, phaser rifles pointed at their face so the camera is like right right behind the uh, emitter end of uh, five different uh, phaser rifles pointed at him alien phaser so Kirk and Kor are escaping from a new alien called the Vorti and uh, they're on a prison planet, and they're escaping. So uh, Kor uses a large wrench to knock out one of the huge alien guards that had just knocked Kirk to the floor. Instead of turning the wrench onto his downed enemy, Kor instead helps his sworn foe to his feet, and the two continue towards a possible freedom. They make their way to a small ship, and they take off into a nearby asteroid belt only to run out of fuel mid-flight. Meanwhile, the Enterprise finds the wreckage of a small ship that was supposed to have seven people plus Captain Kirk. So they scan all of the debris, and they find the remains of six people. So that means that there are two unaccounted for. Could one of them have been Captain Kirk? So McCoy is tasked with scanning the DNA to see if any of these bodies are indeed Captain Kirk's. Spock does find a trail of a Vorti ship, and he hopes to track it down and find the persons responsible for the death of at least six people. Maybe, maybe more. So, uh, meanwhile, in the little ship that's running only on fumes, Kirk is able to get the unpowered craft to land on a nearby Class M planet. Once there, the hated duo leave the ship and make their way to what turns out to be a Vorti mining station. Here, they sneak in and they hope to find yet another ship to steal. 
Meanwhile, the Enterprise is intercepted by some Vorti craft. Uh, these are small little ships, but they're able to overpower the Enterprise by changing the frequency of their attacks. Just as it seems that the Enterprise will eventually succumb to the attacks, Spock orders all power to shields and engines and then blasts forward. They crash into the surrounding smaller ships, either destroying them or severely damaging them. Uh, he orders that one of the injured pilots get beamed up. Uh, McCoy fixes the pilot well enough in order to question him. When he refuses to answer Spock's questions outright, Spock then mind melds with the alien to eventually find out what he knows about Captain Kirk. The alien gives up some coordinates to a nearby prison planet, and Spock orders the Enterprise to change course and head that way. Once they arrive, they quickly liberate all the prisoners that are there and overpower all the guards. These guards seem much more talkative, and they tell how Kirk and Kor escaped together and that the two of them think that they're wired to explode if they ever get too far apart or one of them dies. This seems to count as a practical joke with the Vorti. Meanwhile, on the other planet, they are now within reach of another shuttle to steal. Kirk and Kor, Kirk and Kor are caught by the aliens. Uh, there's a firefight, and Kor takes a shot straight to the chest. If he was human, he would have been dead. Kirk is able to get the two of them away from the fight and perhaps hide away to assess the damage. The Enterprise follows a path through the asteroid belt to the nearby Class M planet. They scan and find Kor and Kirk and beam them up to the ship just as the two were making their valiant last stand. Kor is fixed by McCoy and returned to his people. Later on the bridge, the crew talk about how even though Kor and Kirk had worked together, they do not see a future where they will ever be true allies. The end. Well, at that time period, I suppose that would have made sense. But hey, things in the future, they work out better for the Klingons and Federation. Yay! Only because their planet gets destroyed. Well, yeah, they're finally forced to. Notice wow. that's that's how we make friends with the Klingons, and it's how we make friends with the Romulans. Allow them to have their planets destroyed. Exactly. And then, for whatever reason, they're very, they become very friendly after that. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay, so it was only the Klingon moon, right? Yeah, but in the movie, they really stressed the Klingon Empire will be gone. So Which years. made no sense. How many planets are in the Klingon Empire and one moon going bad? Come on. Anyway, whatever. Well, just like a supernova. You just, take you just had to go through it. Klingon, well, I, I agreed. I'm not saying everything in Star Trek always makes 100% sense. <laughs> or any sense in some cases. Yeah. Yeah. I, w I would hope that, you know, I hope nothing happens to Earth, but if we were in Star Trek time when humanity is spread throughout the stars mm -hmm. if something bad happened to earth i would hope that uh, we could keep it together and not lose everything that makes us human i would certainly hope so yeah i certainly hope so and uh i i look forward to one day reading 
the book, uh, Voyager book, to lose Earth, to see exactly what that's all about. Novel. Oh, there's a book coming out. Yeah, it's already it's on Audible. And Is it the one that's by uh, Christian? Um, I think it's by the by one of the writers Bayer. on 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 Star Trek. Bear, right? Yeah, Christian Bear. Kristen Bear. I think it is by her. Okay. Yes, so Christian Bear. So that's that's the one, and it's about losing Earth? Well, that's what the title is, mm-hmm. To Lose Earth. Yeah, I was curious when I saw that one announced, you know, because she's a showrunner on Picard, that if, and, you know, Seven of Nine and, and, and the crew of Voyager mm-hmm. are, you know, at least mentioned in, the, in that. So I was wondering if that book was going to follow the continuity of Voyager Picard books, or Voyager, or if it's going to follow the Voyager, I mean that Picard book movie. Well, the cover shows Voyager, so I I had the impression it was going to be somewhere. It was going to be a Voyager story, but I don't know. Right, right, because because in the books, which I don't know if that's considered canon anymore, uh, you know, Chakotay becomes captain and they go off and have their own own thing. That's not that's not canon. Right. So that's why I'm wondering, is that book set in that continuity, the old continuity, or if it's set in the uh, post-Picard continuity where we know that Seven of Nine leaves the Federation at some point? Blah, blah, I don't blah. know. Good question. I and, don't. I don't know. But because Jane it Wade. is by her, you would think that she would be writing it more with continuity in mind from the TV shows. That's what I would think, but she wrote a, a, a good chunk of the books before, so yeah. she wrote she helped shape that original continuity. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. That's why I was very curious about that book. So if you do read it, let me know. Okay, we'll do. I will. I would like to eventually get to reading it too. But yeah, it's. I, I'm in the I'm in the middle of doing that second Picard book with Riker. And, oh, how and is Troy. it? I'm about halfway through, and it's good. I like it. As good as the first one. First one was really good. The first, uh, no, it's not as good as that. But but that was explaining a whole bunch of things that the Picard TV show didn't. Gotcha. So I mean, it referred to things, but this was showing you the details. The the book, the Picard right. uh, book. So that was that was very cool, and uh, so I like that book. Uh, this so far is not as good, but I think it's a really good story. Good, good. I think what's going on is pretty cool so far. And you you get a lot of uh, FaceTime with the uh, first son, or with with the son, who I guess ends up dying. Uh. Uh, What is his name? I forgot his name, but... I mean, quite frankly, the author writes him as an annoying kid. Aw. He's an annoying kid. He just keeps on... Oh, Mom, do I have to? And uh, he keeps on speaking all these different languages, including the one he makes up. That's right. Yeah, with the sister. So it's like all of a sudden he's speaking French. All of a sudden he's speaking his his makeup his made up language. It's like okay, all right. But but whatever. It's good. It's good. It's it's worth right. buying and, and listening to. Everybody or reading if you actually. Oh read. yes, reading. Uh, uh, it is an audio book. <laughs> I am listening to the audio book. So. All right. Cool. I'll have to give that a, a, a read or listen to. You do episodes. that. You do that. His name was Thaddeus. Thaddeus, that's it. Thaddeus. Um, 
Okay. So here, so here we have purple Pepto Bismol blood again for the Klingons. Yeah, we do. And uh, I guess he gets hit pretty hard at the end. But um, I, I really like these kind of stories where they have the arch nemesis, nemeses that have to work together. Um, so Kirk and Kor, perfect. I mean, he, he, Kor's my favorite Klingon from Taw's era. So great choice. Um, and, and I like the story. Uh, it reminds me a little bit of when Goldicott and uh, Cisco were in a very similar situation in uh, in an episode. What was the episode? Waltz. Waltz. I did have to look that up. I did not remember. So that was a season six, episode eleven, episode where um, Cisco and Goldicott have to survive after they've crashed on a on a planet. Mm. That's good. And interesting is they were uh, Cisco was involved in taking Ducat for trial for his war crimes when they became marooned, and right. uh, and that's what they're doing here too. I mean, I'm not sure about war crimes, but they captured Kor somehow, right? And they were transporting him someplace, right? Right. Yeah. It, it that's that's my number one complaint about this book is yeah. that it it starts off and. Core and Kirk are trying to escape, mm-hmm. right? No explanation as to what's going on. I mean, you're just thrown right. into it, and yeah. then, and then they kind of half halfway tell you what happens before, but but it's never clear. I mean, why would Kirk be on some tiny little ship that could be destroyed so easy if he was transporting a, a, a war criminal? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they they act like you know Spock's like, well, this the little ship left this plane and it never made any other stops, so it must have still had in it by the time it exploded hmm. you know so you're like well, what kind of ship is this that would I mean why I mean with warp speeds it wouldn't take the Enterprise very long to get anywhere that some little ship could have gotten to right. to go pick him up so why they do it that way instead of just taking right. Enterprise good question and then why did these aliens take Kor and Kirk and then also do this quote unquote practical joke where they <laughs> Say, hey, you got something in your heart that'll keep blow up if you get too far away from this guy. <laughs> snicker, snicker. You know, <laughs> I love that. I think that's great. It's funny, but it, in a practical sense, it doesn't make sense because why kill the other six people that were on that ship? Well, I mean, why did they go out only to get Kirk and 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 Core? I don't know what the what the motivations were. They don't. They don't bother explaining, eh. right? Yeah. They don't explain this alien race at all. And then at the end, they're like, "Yay, the war's finally over!" And I was like, "What war? Who are these guys? <laughs> I've never heard of them before. Now no. we're at war with them. At, it's like we're in the middle of a war, and then it's over by the end of the issue, and I don't know anything." Yeah, I was really. That's it. That is it. Yes, that is it. Yeah, the Varadi are strange. Strange. Uh, race who like yeah. practical jokes they like practical jokes they don't like the Klingons or the Cubans and they mine other planets that are nearby right without permission right. That, that's all that's all you get from them right <laughs> yeah and what's with the Enterprise just like I mean they're so aggressive they just plow through those ships to destroy them all right? well just ram them 
they were attacking the Enterprise. I get it, but I've never seen. And them. they and they were and they were potentially going to beat the Enterprise. True. So Spock had to roll up his sleeves and go, "No, you won't." Yeah, but it's just like he does that, which is an aggressive act. I mean, you know, more aggressive than just what you normally see in Star yeah. Trek. Yeah. Well, and yeah. He, and Spock, among, dude, Spock, more so than any character, is going to try to find a non-violent uh, way of resolving something. But. Right. But then they beam the dude over that's hurt. Mm-hmm. Catch him up enough to ask him a question. He's like, hey, I'm not going to answer you. And then Spock's like, oh, yes, you are. And then mind melts with him without, you know, without any other real. That's, that's a violation of the most fundamental of privacy. Right. And Spock. then he gets some coordinates to a prison, goes to the prison. And then within one page, it's just like, it's now our prison. We freed all the prisoners and you're now our prisoners. Uh, so we don't even know how they took over the prison. It's just, yeah. it happened. Yep. And uh, but that's also aggressive. I mean, it must be their planet. It's not like they created an illegal prison on a Federation planet. It's like we invaded their territory. We attacked their prison to try to free our captain. Yeah, yeah, that's about it. So I don't know. Just everybody seemed a little off in this whole issue. I yeah. Thought. Yeah, but it sure looks pretty cool when the Enterprise plows through those four green ships. Oh yeah, it's pretty. <laughs> Shields at maximum. Plow. That's yes. great. Just like when you hit that bug at you know seventy miles an hour, it makes exactly. a pretty little, pretty exactly. little splatter on the windshield. And you can see where burn stands from the standpoint of how shields work. Yeah, which is how they should work. Exactly. It's it's an egg shaped thing around the ship, rather around than being like right, 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 just above the uh, hull. Right. So that's the way. TNG did it, and I always liked that. Which makes sense. I mean, especially if you're talking about warp bubbles and things like that. I mean, well, the warp bubble's supposed to be around the whole ship. Well, yes, just... but the warp bubble isn't necessarily, it isn't the same, well, I assume it's not the same technology as the uh, defensive fields, but who knows. That's maybe. true. But I mean, but I would think that the, I would think that you would need it to be, yeah, you're right. I don't know. And they're not going at warp here. They're only going at impulse, but. Right. Yeah, I just think it looks cool. I just want to mention that. Yeah, no, it's pretty. (laughs) And they just go right through. (laughs) Spock just... Plow time. Yeah, pretty cool. And you like the joke about the... They they were... Because the whole time I was reading it, I was thinking maybe they were somehow chained to each other, especially there at the beginning. And it was like one of those classic, uh, you know, uh, prison escapes with the... With two guys that are chained yep. together. Yeah, was that Sidney Poitier and uh, Tony Curtis? It was definitely Tony Curtis. Uh, where they hated each other, but they were chained by right. the le- at the leg. Yeah, exactly. And and try to get away, or maybe like uh, attached. The TNG season seven episode eight one that had Picard and Crusher reading each other's minds inexplicably, and then if they got too far away from each other, they'd get nauseous. So they didn't go explodey, but they got nauseous. So it's like, well, this is uh, this is kind of familiar, Burn. It's just a little familiar. I, I did like how when Core takes the shot to the chest, and he's like, "I'm I'm about to buy it anyways. Just give me the phaser, and you go on, and right, and uh, I'll hold him off. I'll go out in a, in a blaze of glory." And then Kirk's like, 
yeah, but if I go too far away from you, I'll explode. And he's like, yeah, I hope you forgot that. Yeah, that was good. I like that. <laughs> I, hope, I hope you forgot it that part so that I could I could kill you with my last breath would be your last breath too. Exactly right. <laughs> pretty good. That was pretty good. So core, uh, what's his forehead? What's the deal with his forehead? At times, it looks bumpy. It looks it looks darn bumpy in parts. So Byrne definitely upgraded his forehead. Yeah, he definitely has a. a, a more furrowed brow than a normal exactly brow. it's not a wharf brow it's not a wharf forehead but it's not the normal core forehead right wonder why he did that he just i guess he figured he had to do it i don't know or wanted to do it whatever he didn't do it in the issue before right i mean kang doesn't have it yeah yeah you're right about that yeah yeah kang doesn't have it now that is an interesting double standard. That's a very good point. I'm 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 going back and looking at it again, by the way. Sure. But I'm 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 pretty sure you're right. I didn't notice it if he did. Right. I'm looking for Nah, nah. It's very clear. He's got a normal forehead. A human forehead. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. No choice about it. Okay, well that's interesting how he decided to you know, to try to get some continuity. Some in one issue, but not the other. Oh, well, is it because one was all made up? I mean, it was Kang was not really there, right? I don't know. I'm, when I, Kirk remembers him, you you remember him smooth headed, but he exactly. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh, yeah, I got to say though, you, one of the first things you said after the synopsis was the uh, was the Kang blood, but yeah. I got to tell you. In that panel where he's got those two dribbly things that look like somebody did it with a with a marker, or Byrne did it with a marker, it's like that's Pepto that's bright Pepto Bismol color, right? And that's and it's so obviously cheesily done. Yeah, it looks like uh, Microsoft Paint. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it does it's not like match at all. You you retroed it to you 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 felt down going retroing with some of the worst painting tools possible. Microsoft Paint, exactly. That's what you did it with. Anyway. But it's also weird because on that page, he has a lot of blood in his front, but Mm -hmm. it shows his back in a couple panels later, and he doesn't have any in his back. But then when he gets beamed over to the Enterprise, he has blood all over both the front and the back of that sash. Oh, my gosh. Continuity. Damn you, Burn. But I did like that they fixed him. But then I was confused. If he was already with Kirk as a prisoner of war, Mm -hmm. then why fix him and give him back to the Klingons if he was going to go on trial anyways? Exactly. They just forget totally about it. Right. I agree. Or is it because the war's over with the... uh, the verity that they're now like, okay, well, we'll send you back to your well, people. The war's over. Well, but but is the it, war between? It makes be, no sense. It I know makes the, no sense. It's just I don't get it. Yeah, but is it is it actually a Klingon uh, Federation war, and and the verity are involved too somehow, or what? I thought it was a yeah. I thought it was a verity Klingon human war. That okay, all, like, okay, so it was a three way one. Yeah. Right. Yeah, you okay. Know. Yeah, I think it was the three of them involved in it somehow. 
you know, in this big war that we've never heard of and is were dropped in the middle of and finished all in one, one issue. Amazing. 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 And did they already explain why um, the all-powerful race isn't doing anything? Or at least they throw a they throw a they name drop them at one point. Yeah, what, I don't know why I can't remember the names, but whatever. Organians. Organians. That's it. So the Organians aren't interfering at this point. Okay. Nope, they're not interfering. That's my last one. I'm done. All right. All right. So uh, that was a 29 page story A, and then I, the story <laughs> B has to be just long. like 20 pages. Yeah, Whew. it's a lot of pages. So, uh, but I was super excited because it is a Captain Pike story. It is. Yeah, so it's set sometime after the cage and before where no man has gone before. When Pike was still captain. All right, you ready? I'm ready, man. Hit me. Uh, All right, it's called The Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner. So aboard Captain Pike's Enterprise... They discover a mysterious ship. They bring it aboard the shuttle bay. And they discover that it's manned by a single human who calls himself Caver. And he states that he's from 1901 Earth. So they get the man out of his primitive space suit slash scuba outfit. And he joins them at the conference room. He tells them that he is indeed from 1901 and that he and his assistant Bedford were working on a new type of anti-gravity ship in order to get them to the moon. He was performing a routine test when suddenly he blacked out and the next thing he remembers is waking up there in the shuttle bay. Spock points out that Caver and Bedford are both characters from the H.G. Wells book, The First Men in the Moon. Caver admits to knowing a man named H.G. Wells. So uh, some time passes and the crew continues their investigating of his story. And they ultimately surmise that he is indeed telling the truth. And that Wells came up with the novel by using the real events from Caver. Scotty and Number One's test on his anti-gravity plating prove that he could indeed bend the time-space barrier and end up thousands of light years away and uh, 150 something years later uh caver is informed that the uss yorktown will soon arrive to take him back to earth but instead he requests that he is allowed to take his craft and do what he always wanted to do explore scotty gives him a modern spacesuit and perhaps a crash course on how to pilot his craft and then he is sent out into the great unknown to explore all on his own Scotty laments that he hopes to be as lucky one day. The end. Lucky? Are you kidding? All alone? In a ship that has no space? I mean, how big a thrill is that going to be after a few weeks? How about a few days? Yeah, it seemed weird, right? Yeah, so there's this poor old guy that's from the, what, eighteen late 1800s? Or, yeah, late 1901. Okay, 1901, fine. Um, that has, he doesn't know how to navigate. He doesn't know how to land on a planet. Um, no, he doesn't even know how he got there. He's exactly. sitting on Earth so, one minute, and the next minute he's in the Enterprise shuttle bay. 
So they upgrade his systems enough that he can just go tooling around and stuff. And uh, I, don't, I don't know about you, but I wouldn't trust that glass-covered orb in the front where apparently the pilot sits. Right. Forget about it. Now, I got to say, the ship's kind of cool looking. It's, it looks like a steampunk almost kind of thing. Oh, yeah, definitely. With his glasses, too. He, it was a very steampunk look. Exactly. So it looks cool and everything. But when you really think about what he's doing, it's like, ah. Although it does remind me a little bit of, you know, when Captain Spot or Scott went off again um, at the end of that TNG episode. Oh, oh, that's right. He goes off a, in, in a shuttle, right? Yeah, he just takes a shuttle and then just goes off to uh, uh, Relics, wasn't it Relics? Yeah, Relics. So he went off and stuff, but I mean, okay, so he's from the past. Yeah, oh boy, this is kind of close, isn't it? Yeah, it's really close. Hmm. Well, now that you mention that, huh. I, you know what? I totally forgot that's how that episode ends, just because I've read so much expanded media on what he does afterwards mm-hmm. that, uh, that I forgot that that's where that, that story ends with him, with him in a shuttle leaving the Enterprise D. Right. Yeah, but, but the difference between, was it 80 years difference? How many yeah. years was between? Okay. Uh, between Taws and TNG. That's bad, but, I mean, you understand space travel. You understand warp fields. You can fix your ship. Um, This guy, it's like, he was never in an airplane. (laughs) He's in a (laughs) spaceship? Um, Tooling around all alone? Yeah, he's not going to last ten minutes. Yeah. Yeah, some Klingon ship's going to come and (laughs) target practice. Yeah, and what are you going to do? So you're going to fly? I mean... Did they actually say they gave him a warp drive? No, but he doesn't need it. He has the anti-gravity plating. Oh, right. But okay, yeah, but, I don't, but, but what's going to prevent him from going through time again? That was my thing, is that if he accidentally went through time and space the first yeah. time, how, how is he going to control it the second time? I don't know. But he better bump in the doctor or something. Somebody show what's going on with this uh, time and space travel. But right. Otherwise, he's going to be dead soon. I'll be honest, I am not familiar with this book. Uh, and is it a typo, or is it really called The First Men in the Moon, not on the moon? Well, I I think, I thought the actual name was A Trip to the Moon, but I could be wrong. Yeah, well, according to Spock, says mm. the book is called The First Men in the Moon. Yeah, that doesn't sound... It sounds weird, right? Okay, so I got to look it up. Now, now Jules Verne, though, I mean, he was French, right? Uh, I thought he was English. I thought he was French. Um, nope, it's called In the Moon. Okay, so... Oh, okay, so A Trip to the Moon is a 1902 French adventure short film directed by George, George Melez, inspired by the wide sources including Jules Verne's 1965 novel or 1865 novel right. Le Voyage dans la Lune A Trip to the Moon hmm but the, the book the book according to Wikipedia was called uh, The First Men in the Moon by H.G. Wales Country of Origin United Kingdom Language, English. Genre, science fiction. Hmm. Published okay. in 1901. 
Okay. Well, this other Wikipedia article is is confusing. But you're ta- you're reading about the movie with the, where the yeah rock, yeah yeah where and they it, like they that movie I've watched that movie. It's actually yeah because they like use a slingshot to shoot this rocket into the moon's eyeball. Yeah, right. And then 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 the it's a, it's an actor right. who's got his face made up as the moon. He's got a capsule in, or a bullet in his eye. Yeah. Right. 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 Yeah, so no, this is different. Uh, yeah, which, yeah, but, yeah, But I don't know, I'm not familiar with this mo- this book. But I am familiar with H.G. Well, Wells, and I know that uh, often they've, you know, cited that, you know, what he knows about uh, time travel in the, in the time machine and stuff like that. There was like a rumor that he somehow was visited by a, a time traveler. <laughs> so I thought it was kind of interesting that, that they kind of spun that, that story that, he was in circle with this real guy named Caver that uh, really went to the moon and, and beyond. You've heard that rumor, right? About the time machine. You still there? Yeah, I'm here. Oh, okay. What rumor is this? Oh, it's, I don't know. It's like an urban legend thing about the time machine being based on true events. Oh, a time well, traveler that told him the story. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, well, uh, what? Um, yeah, and also um, Tesla figured out a way to uh, make a transporter. Oh, and a, and a space laser. Oh, and a space laser. Okay, what's that from? Uh, I don't know. It was one of those uh, one of those rumors that that he destroyed like a Russian city somehow. Yeah, so the teleporter thing, that was uh, The Prestige. The Prestige. That was an excellent film. Yes, it was. Uh, David Bowie as Tesla. That was entertaining. He was um, great. He was great. He, he has acted multiple times in multiple films, but I thought he did a particularly good job on that one. Right. Bowie. Right, right up there with uh, the, the Goblin King from Labyrinth. Oh! <laughs> you bring that up. <laughs> when I think of David Bowie's acting, that's, that's how could that not come to mind that's first? Always going to be the first thing I think of. Cool, dance, baby, dance. So, anyways, I'm not familiar with the book, so I didn't know who Caver was or Bedford. No, so I, didn't know I really was. needed Spock to tell me who these people were, <laughs> exactly, or what what this book was. Right. Yeah, me too. But, but overall, I mean, I love that it was Pike. I loved that you know. Again, they had Scotty in there, you know, showing that he was—he's been on the Enterprise longer than Kirk, mm-hmm. uh, which, which I really liked. And uh, I didn't mention it because it has absolutely nothing to do with the story. But uh, the old Doctor from Where No Man Has Gone Before joins the crew in this issue, and and he's wearing like a like a blue version of Pike's sweater type thing. So is that what Pike's the sweater? Okay. Is that what Pike is that what the Doctor wore in Pike's episode? Uh, in in the first uh, in the first episode. pilot. Yeah, yeah. Where the cage? Where the, the Doctor's like, I'm also a bartender. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't remember, but that could indeed be one of the costumes he had. I, I really sure. don't recall. I, I just remember when he was in his normal outfit when he was being the bartender. Right. And I don't remember this older guy in. Uh, where no man has gone before much at all. So, 
you, you you seem to remember more about him than than I did. Well, this is him, right? This is the pre-McCoy Doctor from that one from just the one or two episodes. I think there were two pre-McCoy Doctors. So there was one guy that was on uh, the cage, right? The first, pre- which is not first one. Guy. That's Piper. which is not this guy, right? Yeah. And then there was another doctor who was in the uh, Where No Man Has Gone Before. And, and then there was the, McCoy. Right. And I thought this was the guy from Where No Man Has Gone Before. Is it? Is this not him? He, you know, I think he probably, I think for some reason I'm thinking he's Paul Fix. His name is Paul Fix. And I, I'm confused at the moment whether he was Pike's doctor. I think he was Pike's doctor uh, as opposed to Kirk's doctor. But I could be wrong. I'd have to look. Okay. Yeah, it doesn't matter. I'd have to look it up. But, I mean, it would make more sense if he was uh, Pike's doctor from the cage. But who knows? So you're saying what's cool is they're showing a transition here. Right. right. Yeah. So it's not Piper. Yeah. So I just looked it up. This is this guy is Paul Fix. Paul Fix. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So. That's the actor. Right. And he, and was, he was in where no man has gone before. So, but this is the pre-McCoy doctor. So it goes Piper, this guy, McCoy. Okay. Cool. And is no way this guy's name is Piper. Holy moly. Holy for holy. All right. So it would make more sense if he was from the cage, but. Um, well, not. This is the where no man has gone before guy. Definitely the where. Okay. Man. Yes. Okay. So I, I just looked it up and I see a picture of him and he's next to. Um, uh, Cal- oh, it was it was Boyce. Dr. Boyce was. The cage, then Dr. Piper from where no man has gone before, then Dr. McCoy onwards. Cool. All right. So now- and Paul Fix was also in Battlestar Galactica. I now the come to find one? out. The new one or the old one? No, the original one. The original one. Look at how old he is in the 60s. Forget about it. <laughs> oh, there he is. John Hoyt. Okay, so John Hoyt apparently played um, the first Bill- doctor on the cage. Yeah. Right. Okay. The, the bartender slash doctor. That's it. That's it. Okay. And he looks a little bit more capable. Paul Fix looks like he he really should stay on the ship. <laughs> Paul Fix looks a lot like uh, current day um, Robert De Niro. <laughs> like there on page thirty six, I'm expecting <laughs> to say, "You talking to me? <laughs> you talking to me, punk?" Okay, cool. All right, so. Uh, I did like how in the flashbacks of 1902, uh, it's in black and white. I thought that was kind of funny. Yes. And I liked his spacesuit being very, you know. Uh, yeah, it's it's a out. diving. It's not scuba. It's. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's it, it, it's 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 an old diving suit. You know, metal helmets. Not a diving bell. What did they call it? I don't know. The big iron one. Whatever. I don't know, the one the, where you could really go, you could go deep in those things without getting squashed. <laughs> well, okay. So the helmet, or 
the helmet and the thing that goes over the shoulder is really heavy metal. Right. But the rest of the outfit is fabric, isn't it? In know. real life or in this thing? No, in this thing. Hey, it looks like it's it looks like it's some kind of foamy thing. Oh. I don't I don't know what it is. I don't know. Whatever. Yeah, but it looks heavy. Yeah, that looks like the kind of thing they would have been wearing in the old uh Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea Disney movie or something. Yeah. Yeah. That's what you would take out of the Nostromo for sure. Or yeah, Nautilus. Nostromo. Nautilus, that's it. <laughs> Nostromo. Nostromo is alien. Exactly. Which is a fine ship also. Just a little different. And also very clunky uh, space suits. Yes. Yeah. So you did see the cover for the next issue, right? Uh, Gary 7 and the Guardian of Forever. Woohoo! That's a big one. That looks big. What's better than bringing back... What's better than bringing back a character... From Taws, bringing back two characters from Taws. Right. And and are those like white guys behind Seven? Maybe Seven's bosses or something. Oh, we finally find out who they are. I don't know. I'm right. just fig- we- I'm just trying to figure out who the uh, the crystal guys are or white are, are guys. We, or something. Are we reading that next week, Ken? Uh, sure, Donovan. Next week. That'll be it. Well, but, uh, now I'm intrigued. Now, I did yeah. not see this until you mentioned it. Yeah, no, I saw it earlier, and I was like, oh, my goodness. Especially since we just did the whole Gary 7. Right. Uh, how they're reimagining there in year five yeah. as being a quasi-bad guy. No. He's a bad guy. Yeah. And then with the Guardian and its its appearance in Discovery, I'm like, I like both of these. I have, I have recent context with both of these episodes. Yes. I am intrigued, John Byrne. Yeah, you've got me. All right, so I have one more comment. I kept waiting for you to mention it, but you never did. I did. Uh, the uh, the Enterprise I like in that it's the uh, the Cage Enterprise with mm-hmm. the uh, the pointy things and the uh, the nipples. Nacelles. Yep. The 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 nacelle nipples. Yes. <laughs> well, of course. Yes. Well, why are we doing anything different? And then, and the, like the huge oh, bridge. They can't keep it straight in the show, so why would they keep it straight in the comic book? Well, also, also the whole bridge area is like huge, right? So it's like if that really was the size of the bridge compared to the rest of the ship, would there be enough room in the Enterprise for all the people? I I saw a thing where they were talking about um, the number of crew versus the size of the, the size ship. of the ship. Yeah, the original and, one. Yeah, and it's tiny, right? You, there's like supposed to be 400 people on the ship. Yeah. And from how big the ship is supposed to be, you know, not not taking Star Trek Five into into you know because Star Trek Five had hundreds of hundreds of decks. Sure. So I mean, they no. Had more, like, <laughs> That's Star Trek Five. That was funny. There's like you know what a dozen or so. I think decks. I saw the same video as you. Yeah. But anyway, but, but yeah, they, the, if you put 500, 400 people on the the saucer, it's you know quite a bit. There's still a lot of room on the on just the outside of the saucer, right? Uh, that wouldn't have to be so. It should be more space than it what it what it shows it a lot of times, right? But so you got to think there's a lot of machinery and stuff in there. But yes, not you would think so. I mean, look at the uh, look at the JJ verse Enterprise. It's got all kinds of garbage in there. Big Including, what big tubes of just water? Big tubes of coolant. That's coolant. 
You got to cool that, things in that space. You can beam into and not have it ex- expand. Exactly, all. and not or drown in. Yeah. But the point I'm trying to make is, if you look at the Cage Enterprise, um, I think it's a, it's not only with the nipples being different, but I think they redid the uh, the bridge the bridge bit too, uh, in normal Taws. I'll have to go back and rewatch it because I'm not getting that from from these pictures. Well, I mean, look at the picture where they've got uh, what Kelso, the yeah. picture with the right, right above. Look at how big. The whole uh, the whole bridge area it sticks up so high and it's so big compared to the saucer. I think they changed that in in, in normal Taws. Oh, you're talking about the the model. Okay, okay, okay. Um, the model, yeah. And anyway, that's my opinion. Yeah, you're right. It's more dome, like a big planetarium. Well, yeah, and it st- it sticks so high above the saucer section, and it is so big. I really do think that they, you know, when when the series proper came out, they did a little bit of rework on that. Right. And plus it's a big glass dome. We saw in the pilot that uh, the camera can pan. Ah, hey, it can look right in. <laughs> I, no, I, I think that's just uh, the magic of Hollywood going no, through a metal, a metal roof. Gotcha. That, that is kind of funny. <laughs> and that's part of the reason it was probably that big. Because they knew they were going to do that shot, right? Um, but then they came around and did the real series. Like, you know, that looks kind of big. It looks kind of big. I mean, if the people were in there, could you really fit enough inside the rest of it? Anyway, it just looks a little big. Okay, that's it. That's all to say. All right, Lena, same here. I, I just thought it was a it was a longer story than I was expecting. Yes, I agree. For the side story, I agree. But I dug it. I thought it was interesting, and uh, you know, it was Pike era, which I always enjoy seeing again. Yes, so. uh, Pike era combined with classic uh, beginnings of sci-fi. Yeah, right. Which is right. very cool. Oh yeah. Yep. Very good. All right. Well, then uh, next episode we'll do um, we'll do some more new visions and finish it off. We will be done. Another series marked off. There you go. Sounds good. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. On the review. Later. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music stories and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes. Or friend us on Facebook at first name, ST Comic, second name, Book Review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Let's get the hell out of here.